Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we'll be covering a key topic to discuss the process of decision-making. Rather than making recommendations, because everyone's circumstances are different, we'll talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision, and then you can make that decision on your own. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is also sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about patents, and uh, patents are 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 increasingly important. Um, there's a lot of data out there that suggests that. In the last 30 years or so, most of the value that's being created in our economy consists of intellectual property. Now, the accounting world is actually only very slowly catching up to this. A lot of intellectual property does not show up on a balance sheet. Um, In fact, some of the benefits of having intellectual property is that nobody knows it's there at all. And that's one of the things I think we'll be talking about today. Um, But one of the things that I've learned over the years, I've been myself working with advisors and entrepreneurs and business people, is that, you know, some patents are great. Some patents aren't great. Sometimes they're, they are all they're cracked up to be. Sometimes there are better ways to accomplish protecting your intellectual property. But I'm not an attorney. I don't know any more about patents than what I just said over the last 30, 35 seconds or so. So in order to not commit malpractice and be sued because I have, do not have the bar, we're going to bring on a subject matter expert to talk to, to, talk to us today. Joining me today is uh, my dear friend and colleague, Jackie Hutter. Jackie's been helping innovators capture the value of their ventures at the Hutter Group since 2008. During this time, and probably not coincidentally, Jackie has been named by her peers as a top global intellectual property strategist. For several years, Jackie took a break from the law as CEO of a startup technology company where she experienced entrepreneurship from the inside, which gives her a unique perspective among patent experts. Prior to striking out on her own, she was senior intellectual property lawyer at Georgia Pacific and a shareholder at an Atlanta intellectual property law firm. She started her non-legal career as a research, assist, research scientist in the innovation group of a hair and skin product company. I didn't know that. Jackie lives in the Decatur area in a groovy mid-century house with her husband, teen daughters, and far too many pets. Again, joining us today is Jackie Hutter. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for coming today. And how many pets do you actually have now? Oh, gosh. We have uh, three very large dogs, including one that's uh, just emerging from puppyhood that requires me to walk him about six miles every day. Um, and that's why you look so fit. Oh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> we, we work hard. And then um, uh, three cats. So you're, how, how far – I mean, what is the line between having too many pets and being the cat lady from The Simpsons? Having a husband. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it here, folks. Here, folks. You have too many pets, and you want to not be clinically insane. Be married. That is apparently the line. So, Jackie, thanks for coming on today. I'm uh, really looking forward to this conversation. And you know, you and I have had patent discussions forever, as long as we've known each other. 
I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs, many of whom think they want to have patents and you sort of help talk them off the ledge or maybe should have patents and you're like, God, why don't they have a patent? They need to talk to me like stat. Um, but let's kind of build a foundation here. I'm not sure everybody understands what exactly a patent is. So talk about what is a patent and how do patents work? Well, patents are confusing because, quite frankly, lawyers make it too complicated. It's really a simple uh, framework in that the pa- a patent sets out the, the ba- property lines of what you want to own. And um, when you file a patent application, you are setting out, uh, laying a marker, if you will, in, in, into the into the uh, the world that I have come up with this, I have invented this, and I want to own it. And so the you, you, you that's a very important part of the process that people don't spend enough time on. Uh, but generally, folks will think I need a patent and not really understand why they need it and why it creates value for them. And because there are so many people who write about patents and who actually obtain patents for a living. Um, there's a, a lot of junk that's, that's out there that, that uh, prevents people from really understanding. But at the end of the day, a patent is something that protects something you've brought, that should protect something you've brought to a customer, and that customer will pay for it. And in order to retain that customer, in other words, to get them to be able to continue buying from you uh, as long as you want them to, you need to consider whether or not it makes sense to draft a to, to obtain a, a patent that that actually covers that stuff, and if it doesn't, then um, then patents are irrelevant to you. So, just having a patent for the sake of a patent doesn't sound like a great idea. Well, if you like to have really pretty um, things on your wall, a lot of people, you know, for a lot of people, the uh, uh, the objective is, hey, I got a patent. Um, and sometimes they don't even think about what the value is or they, they assume there's value and um, they never really care to – never really care or have to figure out what that value is. Um, certainly for, for patent attorneys, the goal is to get patents because if, if, if they didn't, they wouldn't be in business. Uh, but the, the ultimate goal, if you're doing this the right way, is because you have a validated customer. Somebody wants to buy what you're selling to them, and in order to continue to hold that customer and 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 realize that value, you have to have a you should have a patent. You don't have to have a patent, but you should have a patent. Okay, so let, let's say you've sold me. I want to get a patent, and for the moment, let's leave aside value. Maybe I do just want something pretty on my wall, and it's cheaper than a Warhol. Um, and maybe, most, not. maybe not. Maybe <laughs> not. Well, we'll talk about that later, right? Um, but I decided I want to. How do you how do you go about that? Can I just sort of go down to Washington and say, "Hey, give me a patent"? How does that work? Well, it's a very arcane process. Um, even for patent patent experts like me, I've been doing this for far more years than I like to admit, and the details are just way too complex. Now, there are, if anybody is, is a, a DIYer, there are plenty of books out there that purport to tell you how to do it. Um, I, and I have seen some, some, some patents that have been generated that way. Um, usually, they're, they're worth, not worth anything. Not even the paper that they're written on, but, uh, but that's just the nature, nature of the business. Oh, there, there are some exceptions, but they're very, very, very ex- uh, extremely rare. Um, so, th- so then what you have to do is you have to hire a patent expert. Um, it's it's kind of like um, you know, the fox guard in the hen house, as a mentor of mine used to say. When you ask a patent attorney if they need a pat, if you need a patent, um, the answer is probably going to be yes. Of course, you need a patent. 
So, and that made I got to get paid. <laughs> well, I don't know if you need a patent, but I need a patent. <laughs> well, you said it. I didn't, or maybe I did. But the, uh, what, what typically happens in that process, and I know this is the way the training is. We, uh, we are, uh, we say to our clients, um, you know, what did you invent? And, and this is what my, this is what my retainer is going to be. And it's this, most of the time, the vast majority of times, that gets things off in the wrong, the wrong direction because when you've talked about what you've invented, you're talking about what has happened in the past. But if patents are to have value for you uh, as in your, in your business strategy, as part of your business strategy, you need to be looking at the future and understanding why this patent is going to have meaning for you at some point in the future. And that's with respect to... Um, in, in, for, for my clients with respect to potential sales and potential customers in the future. So you know, by starting with what did you invent and starting writing about the past is where most patent, um, patent applications and, and actually granted patents go awry. Um, but you know, it's just the nature, nature of the business. I take a different approach, a very different approach actually. If I, when clients come to me, I – Use a use a, a gating. I, I use a gate. I will not take any client who has not been able to demonstrate, or will not be able to demonstrate to me that they know who their customer is, why the customer cares, and why the customer will write a check in the future. And w- when they do that, and only if they can do that, we talk about why um, why it matters for them in the future to have this protection. And very often. It's, it, it won't be relevant. So I say, no, you don't need a patent. Let's go ahead and work on another type of intellectual property that might, might give you um, even more value than a patent. Cause- I think that's great. I'm going to sort of go off the script here because yeah. I think it's, it's a sign of a, great, of a great professional that makes a client work a little bit to hire you. And I like to think I do the same thing in my practice where you, know, you don't want to do an unnecessary operation, right? You've got to live with yourself and at the end of the day – the client's going to wise up and realize you took out their appendix when it was perfectly healthy, right? And, and they're going to be mad, and it's going to ruin, it's going to harm your reputation. And you know, especially Atlanta's a big, small town, right? Yeah. So I, I, I think that's I think that's really important that you go through that process and you challenge the client to think, you know, do you really need a patent? And and you know, what if, as opposed to are you looking for something really pretty to put on the wall? Well, for professionals like us who are you know are, who've gone to school for a long time and been doing it for for even longer, um, it's really easy to make it complicated. And um, it's, it's hard to make something simple when it really is hard. And therefore, it has become, or it, not even become, it's, I think it's always been this, this way in the, in the patent world that folks just want to hand stuff over to somebody else because it, it's uncomfortable and difficult to learn something new. Uh, especially when your professional does not take the time or have the skill to be able to to explain it to you in a way that's meaningful to you. Um, and actually, that's sometimes the hardest part of my practice is to figure out the right way to talk to this this person, this client, potent client, this potential client, because you have to meet the client where they are and to be able to communicate to them in, in, um, in a way that's meaningful for them. So that has, you know, I have actually fired clients, and I think clients have fired me because I require them to do the work. 
at the end of the day, a patent is a business document. It's not a legal document. It's not a technical document. It's something that sets out your business, your business plans and how, how you're going to, and you have to be able to execute on those business plans. You know, that's why we write the pet, that's why I write patent applications with my clients the way I do. You know, if, if you haven't been fired and you have never fired a client, you're not really doing your job as an advisor. That, cause that means you're just rolling over every time and, that's not a good yeah. advisor, right? So, but it pays well, right? Uh, it, it in the short term it does. Mm-hmm. So, th- so they talk to you and they 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 let's say they now convince you that a patent is the right thing and you agree that they're going to take you on. What what happens then? Well, what we'll do is um, what well, what I'll do is first figure out what the lay of the land is, if we will. And that's very different than what other, other folks do. You know, people, just generally, clients will t- say to me, I've done a patent search. Well, usually a patent, well, not usually, the vast majority of times, clients really have no idea what a patent search entails. It is really a specialized process. So, so that, you do need to have somebody who's trained. You don't necessarily need, be, need a lawyer. But the traditional way of, of look, doing searches is, is quite binary. Um, actually, that's where you can't have quite binary. It is binary. Um, and it's either, are you patentable or are you not patentable? So when you say, is something patentable, you're saying you have defined what you're going to patent. That is, uh, again, looking backward, not looking forward. So the approach I take um, with clients is I say, I don't know what we should patent. Help me understand your business better. I will go out and look to see what others have done, where other uh, – and what the patents pat- – what the patent – world looks like. I don't want to say landscape. I don't want to use existing words because it really is a graze. It's just trying to cap, it's just trying to collect information and develop, develop a frame of reference for moving forward. Um, and what's interesting there, um, especially since I work with early stage, smaller companies that are seeking to create patents that are meaningful to others, right? To get others to potentially uh, write a check for, for the rights to, to, to practice or own that, that technology is you really, you really have to patent for other people and use the language, use the framework, use the, the uh, context that the folks that you want to get their attention um, are, are going to be interested in. If you look very different from them, they're not going to want to buy you, right? They're not, or they're not going to be interested. That's just you know, uh, basic, basic human nature, whether it's patents or not. Uh, but also, from the standpoint of companies that don't file hundreds or thousands of patents a year, which seem to get all the uh, all the um, all the noise is about you know who's you know, these large companies that are filing you know an enormous number of patents a year. Those are not most of pat- most people getting patents. Most of people getting patents are much smaller companies, and the and, and they're getting them onesies and twosies. Those folks don't know their patent attorneys as well as the people themselves. They're not experts in getting patents. So by going out and looking at the patent, existing patent literature and figuring out what other what what other characterizations, what other language, what other uh, definitions uh, the experts have used, you can shortcut. You can not only make your patent look more similar to the people you, whose attention you want to get, you can also shortcut the drafting process and get a, a, a less expensive and, and um, um, higher quality work product because so that, of that. Sorry, go ahead. No, so that, so that, that front-end work then really makes, a big, <clears throat> really makes a big difference. Absolutely. And I, that's a, one of the biggest problems with, uh, with, with patents and the way that I learned how to do them um, as well as the way that most, most folks uh, do them today is that it's a file it and see what happens. 
Well, that's like you know, going to battle uh, without having any any planning associated with it, right? We know what happens from that. You're fight, you're fighting battles, and not having you know you, you don't have any strategy to win, or even if you can win. So by setting up the groundwork in advance, it's more work, and it's it's you know can be challenging for for the client to be pushed in this direction. Um, and especially for technical people, business people get this, marketing people get this. Um, when I sit down with a technical person, um, they typically want to talk down, talk to another technical expert and they get into a, uh, siloed conversation that ends up looking like a, um, a technical diagram, right? A, t- a technical document. Um, and to say to them, I don't care what your technology is. I want to know why it matters and why it was so hard and why nobody has done this before because you've been working on this for, you know, X number of months, X number of years, and it took you this long. We need to make sure that story's told to the patent office so that the patent office is not going to say, oh, looks like everything else that comes in. I don't want to fight that battle on the back end. I want to make sure I've strategized so I don't have to fight a battle. I know that's going to happen. I'll bet a big challenge of that, too, is that an inventor has internalized that story so much that they find it hard to expressly articulate. Absolutely. Everything's obvious in hindsight, even to the inventors sometimes. And I love to get to innovators before they've actually hopefully started their, their innovation journey or in the middle of the innovation journey. Because what I say to them is, as a former research chemist, you know, as I... So often, you're, nothing comes together until everything comes together, and you're struggling. You have that pain. You can't. You don't know how you're ever going to get through through this this block that you have. And then you're through that block, and everything's going swimmingly. It's the absence of pain. You kind of have this feeling that that yeah, it was hard, but you can't very often rearticulate it. So if I can get to folks before that that they get through that that process and everything's going swimmingly, I can. Um, get them to think about, hey, this is really hard. This is something I need to, I need to write down for Jackie because Jackie said this is important to the story. And for a lot of my clients, and this is where a lot of the noise comes about patents these days, you cannot patent this or it's really hard to part patent that because what the Supreme Court is, has done. And you know, I can't change what that is. Um, and there are many people who, who spend an inordinate amount of time trying to pull out threads from something that is frankly unintelligible because these, the, 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 the rules are, there really are no rules these days that, that can be articulated to a client in a way that, that can help them plan and strategize. It's something, in other words, it's left up to the lawyers and hopefully it'll all work out. Well, there is one rule that has been made. By the, by the courts that is clear and unambiguous in the, in the, the realm of software, uh, technology, all the stuff where all the noise is out of Silicon Valley and, and, and here, actually, uh, in, in various areas. Um, you know, attorneys will say, well, let's just try it and see what happens. Well, that's the wrong approach uh, because the courts have been extremely clear that, you, yes, you may not really be patentable unless you can, say, unless you can show more. Well, you know how you t- show more. You show more by telling a story and why it was so hard and why it's meaningful. So this, especially for my clients that are, that are in the software-related areas, I have several of those, um, we, we work really hard to be able to, to articulate that story in our patent application, which is very different from what they've done before, unquestionably. And it's very different from what other folks have. They haven't gotten the, the patent attorneys who do this every day haven't gotten the message that you have to tell a story. That, that, 
what you're describing, try and see what happens like when I ask my teenage son to like ask his mother a question, then he yells up the flight of stairs. It's like, <laughs> well, I could have yelled. <laughs> you know, I'm not that old yet. And I mean, I, you don't necessarily need to be a lawyer to just sort yeah. of try something and see what but, happens. But also there's no accountability. There are so many ways to blame other things, you know, other externalities than, than your, your skills and ability as a patent attorney. On why um, on why something doesn't work out, and I am yeah, you know, and I, even even attorneys I really respect, they just seem to sh- just shrug their shoulders sometimes and say, "Hey, who knew? You know, you never know what's going to happen when it gets in the patent o- patent office." Well, I know that's not the case because you know, while I can't guarantee uh, a patent's going to grant for any of my clients. By doing it this way, we consistently get broad patents out of the patent office in, in a very accelerated framework. But again, we, could, you, we do the, work, the hard work on the front end, which effectively lays the groundwork for getting, getting something through the office in the way we want it to get. So let, let's drill down then. Let's say we've, we've sort of – so actually there's a bullet point I, th- I think needs to be made here is that getting somebody like you involved early in the innovation process really helps. It's hard, it sounds like it's harder if I just say, hey, I just, I just gave birth to an innovation. Let's go patent it. If, if, you, if you think that a patent is kind of on the table, prepare for that along the process. Is that right? I would not say to say if a patent's on the table. I would say that if you're a company that's bringing innovative technology to a customer um, to solve a long unmet need, that you're investing time, effort, and resources in that, then you need to you need to bring somebody like me in at an early stage to at least lay the um, lay the framework for for what you need to know, what you need to be looking for. Waiting to the end is uh, is is typically too late. It's not always too late, but um, if you've already made all of your decisions. Um, it's kind of hard to go back and, and if, you, if you've made the wrong decision. And so, no, having be, being um, having that knowledge from the front end can it, it can be invaluable. And to that point, I've got clients that I've been working with on an ongoing basis, and they know to call me. For, you know, one of the reasons why they'll call me, um, and I'm not with them every day, but they know this how important this is to their to, to their uh, business strategy is. We're going to go out and talk to a customer, and this customer does X, and we want to have a at least a uh, a short, meaningful patent application on file before we go talk to these folks because they know that because I've trained them, they want to have a patent application on file today, so that they'll be argue if it works, they'll be arguing in six months about how much their IP already filed IP is going to be licensed for, as opposed to arguing about who owns what was okay. successful. So we've gone through that process now. Are we close then to filing an application, get, telling the government that we like a patent? How, how does that? Sure, you file the application, and you might want to talk about costs. Uh, you know, we can come back to that. But we got the patent app- application on file. The typical process is to file the slow boat um, through D- through um, through Virginia Alexandra is it Arlington um, to to get the patent, and and it can be anywhere from you know two and a, two to four to five years based upon the. Um, the technology and that for my clients, that's not an appropriate um, appropriate timeline for most cases. Some cases we do file during that because it's for, for non you know, non leading edge stuff. But what I have been had had incredible success for, and, and unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be in the toolbox of a lot of attorneys out there. I don't know why, but um, there is a uh, accelerated process. You pay a little bit extra on the front end. 
um, to file a patent application. Uh, it gets goes in a special lane, if you will, in the patent office. And uh, we have consistently been getting examinations within about six six months. And um, if we do the front end work correctly, we get allowances in, in less than a year. Um, that is incredibly meaningful for for early stage companies, small companies that are looking to to uh, accelerate the value. Uh, for larger companies where patents really aren't meaningful because they're not going to go out of business if they screw up their patents or not, don't get a patent, then the, then the, uh, the longer path is, is fine. But specifically for my clients, we do that. Um, the examination process is a back and forth. It's like the patent examiner says, you're not patentable. We say, yes, I am patentable. And, and what often happens is that the, uh, the attorney um, is, uh, is incentivized to get an allowance. And so they'll amend the claims. And if they're not absolutely talking very closely to the business team of the, of the client, what happens far too, far too often um, is that you, uh, the client is left with a patent that doesn't cover their product or anybody else's product for that matter because you've got a patent, and, but you don't have a valuable patent. And the attorney's done exactly what you hired him to do. Yep, which is to get a patent. Get a patent, okay. yeah. So let's uh, – so good. So I think that that kind of covers the process. And you touched upon this. And it's, it's important. This is a business decision. Can you talk about a range of what we're talking about in terms of fees to, to obtain a patent? Sure. I look at it. Uh, I, I basically manage outside counsel today. And, and that's a big change than I, what, it, what I used to do because there was uh, there's no really no transparency to, to – to uh, legal fees, if you're if you're not talking to a bunch of people, it's a consult. Yeah, I'm a consultant. I see a lot of stuff, and I'm able to uh, make make assessments in that regard. Um, most of them cost far more than they um, than they need to cost. Uh, typically, these days, I'm seeing um, if I'm not involved because I can keep these costs down and, and do it a different different way. Um, typically, what you're looking at from outside counsel uh, at a smaller firm, specialized firm, you're looking at anywhere from eight to fifteen thousand dollars on the filing. Um, for large firms um, that have different business models, uh, you're looking uh, at uh, double that. Um, there are good attorneys, excellent attorneys at small firms, and there are lousy attorneys at big firms. Same way in the CPA world. Yeah, and so so cost shouldn't really be a driver. You should be hiring. You should be hiring the attorney, um, not the not the law firm. But it's the same way in your business, right? So a lot of people go immediately gravitate to a, a name brand firm. Nobody gets hired for no gets nobody gets fired for hiring Dentons, right? Exactly, exactly. Unless it bankrupts them, that's a separate discussion. <laughs> well, <laughs> so so a patent is is obvious. It's a complicated process, not to be taken lightly. When do you find yourself talking people out of a patent? What what are the kinds of things do they say to you that sort of you know? I don't think a patent's right for you. What does that look like? So, in and out products, and I think uh, one of your guests today may be talking about in and out products, like nice, nice business models, but they have a finite. What's an in and out product? I'm not familiar um, with that something term. that's got maybe a six month timeline, um, one year timeline. Um, I like to use the example of the end caps in um, uh, in Target. You know, products. Or Snuggies. <laughs> Actually, Snuggies is a great great story. I actually use that that example. Snuggies, you know. I probably could have gotten a patent on, Snug- on a Snuggie, believe it or not. It just it seems so obvious, but there's a story there, right? So you probably could have gotten something um, if you if it had been skillfully skillfully done. But but there was o- there's only a limited number of people who are going to buy a Snuggie. That's and I mean it, it came and went, yeah. Right, and so you also, don't need 20 years of protection yeah, for a Snuggie. But also, and this is another you know, um, uh, aspect of that. Really, is Walmart going to going to slot two shelf shelf spaces for? Uh, 
for for competing Snuggie, it ain't going to happen, right? So, so in that that environment, patents really aren't meaningful. Um, the other situation, and I, I I use this example for folks that have products, gim cracks, whatever you want to want to call what we want to call them. Um, I I ask people to walk through Tuesday morning, which I effectively think about as the island of misfit toys. You walk through Tuesday morning, and I what I see is people's four hundred one ks that have been totally um, uh, evacuated for because somebody convinced them that they could make a zillion dollars on their new way of you know doing X, Y, or Z. And the people who got that product to market, the people who patented that product, got paid. And this poor person had to sell their uh, the only way they could make any revenue, which was far less than they invested. Unquestionably, is to is to get it to be sold into a place like Tuesday Morning. It's like the gold rush, right? Yeah. You made money selling the axes and the shovels and the the sifting pans, but not actually digging. for Great gold. example, great example. So I want people who 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 to, to realize that that's a, a not not a real outcome, a probable outcome for when you have just a a better idea. You think it's a better idea. Now, what about the argument that because when you, when you obtain a patent, you're also sort of opening the kimono, right? Is, is there an argument to be made that instead trying to protect something as a trade secret just by virtue of keeping something secret? Yes and no. Depends on how you do it. Okay. Um, the kimono only needs to be opened. That's a bad – now we're going to – that, that is a real legal term, opening the kimono, but it actually falls apart um, when, when I talk about this. That's a term of art? Open the kimono, yeah, absolutely. It's legal I have no idea. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it goes back to the old days, okay. you know, when it was all men. But in any event, um, the you only have to open the kimono if your claims are related to that the goods, if you will. Yeah. So if you strategically um, define your claims in a way that doesn't require the secret sauce to be disclosed, um, then then you're, there's less there's less probability that that's a problem. So when I talk about my st- software clients, my software related um, clients, we're not claiming the algorithm. Why would you do that? Because there are probably 62 other ways to do the same thing with a different algorithm. But that's not what we're talking about here. If you claim the algorithm or the process, you have to disclose how you do the process. But if you're claiming something different, for example, what the customer is buying, a product, the technology enables that that claim product. The technology does not lead that product. So, so you're, you have different character, different, the, the, the legal requirements don't change, but because you're setting up the question to be different, very often what I find is that the, the issue of trade secret disclosure is much different when you strategically define the claims in a way um, that's actually more meaningful in the long run. So as we wrap up here, I, I would like to uh, invite you to maybe share a little bit of a case study. Do you, is there a sort of a patent success story you can think of that you could share? I have a well, a couple of recent ones, but um, one that I and they're a little bit different. So I'll briefly talk about both of them. First one is a uh, as a uh, uh, medical medical related client um, detection client of mine that I've been working with for uh, a uh, a few years now. They came to me very early, and um, they have been doing some really tough, tough uh, research on a, on, a, on a condition, a medical condition, that if you catch it before 
at the right time, it doesn't become chronic. But if, it, if you don't catch it, then the, the patient suffers for the rest of their lives. Hmm. Um, and the, the problem there was you have to be able to detect it and so that you can diagnose it. But the detection um, was very difficult from because uh, it has to be done fairly continuously. So you can't have a person come into the do- medical imaging o- office once a week. It's just not feasible for, for in most cases. So they've developed a way to, to to diagnose it on a regular basis. And there's a a lot of there's prior ostensibly there's prior art out there, but. Why would they be working on it if the problem's been solved? That's a big deal for innovators. You think about you've got all these people working really hard on something. It means the problem's not solved. Um, And that was the case here. And they've got some really keen insights, amazingly smart people. They're they're great technologists, great entrepreneurs. Um, And we've been – it's been a collaborative process. It's always a collaborative process. And we were able to get them two patents uh, within um, just shy of a year and a half. And after a year – um, of really having cracked the code on this particular um, in- innovation, they obtained very substantial licensing revenue, a license agreement from a company that makes a medical device that has kind of been a moribund market. And there, my client's technology allows more sales to be had of an existing medical device that was pretty much a flat market. Um, and they're, they're thrilled. Um, and also importantly, this revenue is not investor revenue. They didn't have to give up any of the company to get this revenue. But they were very strategic. It was all about customer discovery, what the customer needed, why the problem existed, and the continuous collaboration with me to make sure our patents covered that. The second example, and this is a quick example, but it's a, it's a fun example because it tells, it tells me that I'm doing things right. I've been working with a, um, a startup technology company for since, actually since the day they were, st- they were founded, the, the CTO, a PhD, and a CEO. And we've been strategically working to generate IP protection. It turns out patents are very important in this space. Uh, uh, we can tell that because there's lots of patents in this space. You know, it's kind of a, a pretty obvious signal. And um, they have been getting the attention of the uh, established companies in this market because of the patents, because patents are technology, technolo- technology virtue signaling, right? I got patents. I'm doing something different. Um, so it differentiates them from the other startups out there. But also... Uh, that client is now uh, going through Series A, and I found out um, that there was a bidding war um, between two VCs um, over the over the term sheet. And the reason for I, and I found out the the reason um, that uh, for this, this is an Atlanta company. This Atlanta company, yes. two VCs bidding yes, over an Atlanta exactly, company. Exactly, exactly. Atlanta VCs. It's um, an urban legend. Yes, I. <laughs> uh, that is truth. And but how I found out about it was because the losing VC. Ask for my name, and they're hiring me for one of their portfolio companies. That's good. Which, I, which is great, it, but it, but in this case, you know, it, it didn't uh, IP didn't drive all the value. The technology and the validated business model for my client absolutely did that. But augmenting that with IP that actually covers what the customer cares about ha- is it at, was a definite definite uh, uh, a plus plus to that to that valuation. So, Jackie, let's. I'd like to get a concluding thought out of you. Um, you know, kind of a 30 second, 30 second, 30 second soundbite. Most important to think about if you're going to, to think about when deciding whether or not to get a patent. What do you think that is? So patents rarely matter. When they matter, they matter a lot. And being able to, to understand when and when that isn't, and if it is, how to go about getting what you need in order to, to uh, grow that company value, either in revenue or um, or an exit is the, the crucial first step. 
um, to, to any patent, patenting process. Well, this is great. So um, how do our listeners find you? I'm sure they've listened to us for the last, whatever, half an hour or so. They've fallen in love with you, as they should. How do they find you and if they want to ask, for, ask you for more information? Well, they can see me driving around Atlanta in my red Mustang convertible with the license plate that says Unlawyer. Or they can find me online um, at the Hutter Group, that's H-U-T-T-E-R, uh, group.com. And more preferably, look for, look for my writings out there. I've been, I've been blogging for over 10 years, actually 11 years now, um, about these topics. I'm passionate about them. And more importantly, I'm passionate about about people learning about the patent process and why it matters before they, before they come and talk to me, any, any patent expert, me or anybody, anybody else for that matter. All right. Terrific. Well, that's all the time we have for today's episode. So we're going to wrap up today's program. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Jackie again for coming on, Jackie Hutter, for joining us and sharing her expertise with us. I think we've learned a lot and there's a lot to sort of unpack. So the nice thing about podcasts, you can pause, rewind, play again. We'll have a transcript posted as well. I have show notes posted. Um, next week, we'll be exploring a new topic, so please tune in so that when you're faced with making your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.